The Schizophrenic 60s, Songs, Part 3, 1964 and 1965. The year 1964, of course, belonged to the Beatles. From the January release of I Wanna Hold Your Hand to the December hit of I Feel Fine, the group had six top-selling records in 12 months. There were other number one singles, Bobby Vinton's There, I've Said It Again, The Kingsman, Louie Louie, the Dixie Cups, Chapel of Love, Barbara Streisand, People, and Dean Martin's Everybody Loves Somebody. The Four Seasons, Ragdoll, Ray Orbison, Oh Pretty Woman, and the Shangri-Las, Leader of the Pack. But no group stirred up such passionate fan pandemonium as the Beatles. Stars Overnight, Gone Supernova. The only group to approach the Beatles in multiple hits in 1964 was the Supremes. Where Did Our Love Go, number one in August, Baby Love, number one in October, and Come See About Me, number one in December. The pop musical milestone of the Beatles began February, January the 14th, 1964, with the release of I Wanna Hold Your Hand, and I actually own that record. Played it all the time. It shot from number 45 to number one in two weeks, and remained at the top of the charts until March the 21st, only to be replaced by She Loves Me. The Beatles' February appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show yielded one of the highest Nielsen ratings in television history, with an audience of 73 million people. By April, the group claimed five top spots in the singles charts, with Can't Buy Me Love, Twist and Shout, She Loves Me, I Want to Hold Your Hand, and Please Please Me. In addition to scoring two albums, Meet the Beatles, the best-selling album in music history up to its time, and the Beatles' second album, which soared to number one position in two weeks. Before the start of summer in 1964, 14 Beatles songs appeared in Billboard's Hot 100, and the lads from Liverpool accounted for 60% of the industry's single sales, paralleled frenzied fanaticism. Beatlemania swept the nation. Not that the mania had been entirely predictable. A little more than half a year earlier, Dick Clark, at the behest of a friend, had tested a British hit, She Loves You, on Bandstand's Raider record. The first teen reviewer said, It's all right, sort of Chuck Berry and Everly Brothers, mixed together. I'd give it a 77. As Clark himself later related, The second grumbled, It's not that easy to dance to. I give it a 65. The third said, It doesn't seem to have anything special, but it is kind of catchy. The best I can give it is 70. With that, the single that would help usher in the new era in popular music, well, an invasion of British performers scored an average of 71. Scores a miss for Raider Record, Clark Raider later cracked. Following the Fab Four's stupendous debut on The Sullivan Show, Bandstand moved quickly to telecast a Beatles tribute program. Across the nation, teens copied the Beatles' monkishly long hair, their collarless jackets, and their leather boots called Beetle Boots. The importance of I Want to Hold Your Hand can't be overestimated, says Fred Bronson, in the Billboard Book of Number One Hits. Next to Bill Haley's We're Gonna Rock Around the Clock, which ushered in an era of mainstream rock and roll in 1955, it is the most significant single of the rock era, permanently changing the course of music. The influence of the Beatles has been felt by every artist who has followed them. Rebels or heroes, they became overnight pop culture icons. As John Lennon humbly perceived, quote, Yeah, well, if there is a God, we're all it, end of quote. The adults who found Beatle music hard on the ears could, in 1964, buy the cast album 
of Broadway's two new musicals, Fiddler on the Roof, starring Zero Mostel, which would run for 3,242 performances, and Hello, Dolly, with Carol Channing as the matchmaking Dolly Gallagher-Levy, which by the time it closed, after 2,844 performances, had featured an all-black company starring Pearl Bailey. 1965. The Beatles weren't any less of a phenomenon in 1965 with such smash hits as Eight Days a Week, Ticket to Ride, and Yesterday. They were joined on the American shores by Herman's Hermits with Mrs. Brown, You've Got a Lovely Daughter, and I'm Henry VIII, I Am, and Petula Clark with Downtown. The Supremes, too, scored big with Stop in the Name of Love, Back in My Arms Again, and I Hear a Symphony. But an emerging new phenomena, also part of the British invasion, was the Rolling Stones. With Mick Jagger in the lead, the group scored an American hit with a sexually suggestive I Can't Get No Satisfaction, number one in July of 1965. Four months later, they were again at the top of the charts with the belligerent Get Off My Cloud. Variety's comment was, quote, The Rolling Stones is not a bunch of clean-cut youngsters out to make a buck from innocent children. The group is tapping into the Freudian vein of savagery in their parlay of frantic guitars and drums, wild vocals, bumps and grinds, and twitches, end of quote. Hardly a parent disagreed. Rolling Stones moved rock closer to the realm of social protest that was then familiar with the folk music of Joan Baez, Bob Dylan, Peter, Paul, and Mary. Though doing so through radical rebellion rather than folks' peaceful political activism. Now, Salvador Philip Bono and Cheryl Staxon Lapierre were a 60s musical phenomena of another sort, adultish sunny and a cloddish share. Well, how one writer described the early duo who were the top of the charts in August of 1965 with I've Got You, Babe, a funky love song in the form of mutual pledges of allegiance that introduced a pair of flower children to nationwide fame. Much to the astonishment of everyone associated with the record, except the writer, Sonny Bono, it sold three million copies and became an anthem for the emerging love generation. The couple met in a Hollywood coffee shop when Cher was only 16. They quickly parlayed their hit, single, into a string of best-selling records. Two films, Good Times, 1967, Chastity, 1969, and a top ten network TV series before they split up to pursue separate careers. Cher, of course, to emerge as a multi-talented pop entertainment icon. In 1990, Premier Magazine named Cher, who dropped out of high school in 1962 and moved in with Sonny, 11 years her senior, and married to another woman, the most powerful actress in Hollywood commanding $5 million a film. Sonny had aggressively pushed I've Got You, Babe, which Atlantic Records executives felt was a piece of fluff with one thought of the mind. From the day I met Cher, he later confessed, she wanted to be a star, and I wanted to make her a star. I knew that song was going to do it. Cher herself admitted that in the 60s, hippies, though we were square, squares thought we were hippies. Writer Stephen Farber sums up America's obsession with Sonny and Cher in the late 60s and early 70s, quote, Their appeal seemed to lie in the domesticating the hippie movement for middle America. With their bell-bottoms and paisley outfits, not to mention their reputations for casual living arrangements, they embody the freewheeling style of the flower power generation, end of quote. Yet, and this is a vital difference, quote, they never took drugs nor endorsed radical politics. 
They were non-threatening, easier for middle America to embrace than the far-out artists like Janis Joplin and Jim Morrison, end of quote. In a nutshell, Sonny and Cher packaged the radical 60s as showbiz. So we're going to end that. We'll go to probably finish up the 60s next time. The source for this, Panati's Parade of Fads, Follies, and Manias, The Origins of Our Most Cherished Obsessions by Charles Panati. So I hope you enjoyed that. And as always, don't forget to come by the website, summahistorica.com or historyaccordingtobob.com and ask a question, leave a comment, check out our merchandise. And if you like what we're doing, please feel free to support us. Thank you very much.